Okay, if you want to join me in 1 Samuel chapter 23... David, as we see at this point, is kind of in this stage of his life now where he's on the run, kind of living like a fugitive. He's in exile at this point. He uh, knows that he, by Samuel's anointing upon him, is the chosen king of Israel that will ultimately really replace King Saul. God has rejected King Saul at this time, but King Saul is sort of holding on with a death grip to the throne. He doesn't want to accept the fact that God has rejected him from his role of serving as the king of Israel. And so because of that, he has an incredible suspicion towards David. David's been nothing but good uh, to Saul, though he's been serving in Saul's palace, uh, helping Saul, fighting Saul's battles. Saul has become incredibly suspicious of David uh, he's insecure he's really just deteriorating in every way mentally morally spiritually and struggling and has made multiple attempts to assassinate David so much to the point where as I said at this point David is now living like an exile he's basically like a a, 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 a fugitive on the run like an outlaw in the land though he's done nothing wrong because King Saul is seeking to track down David and, and just wants to destroy him. Now, when we left off last time, at this point, David, after moving to a couple different locations, even having some struggles himself with his own fears and the threatenings against his life, David has now assembled in the area of the cave of Adullam and we saw about 400 different individuals on top of his own family members have now assembled to David it says that those remember who were in distress those were who were in debt and those who were discontented all rallied to David at this point David becomes captain over them about 400 men uh, and these people become really the beginning of what will become the mighty men of David as he leads them and they support David and stand by him him, uh, God will transform their lives and these will kind of become David's fighting men uh, as he ultimately one day takes over the throne. But we kind of go into this period now, as I said last time, of about a 10 year span where David's on the run. He's in the wilderness. He's moving from location to location, living kind of like a Robin Hood experience. But through all these things, God is developing David's character He's training David. The calling of God, the anointing upon God is upon his life, but yet there's a, a process of preparation that God is taking David through to prepare him to assume the throne. Uh, and David, as a result of that, is dealing with difficulties and challenges as we see in these chapters that we're looking at together. Most recently, God has told David through the prophet Gad not to stay there uh, in the cave of Adullam in the stronghold but to go over to the land of Judah so he's gone over to the forest of Hereth he's just gotten word that all of the priests and the entire city of Nob that city of priests has been massacred because of the help and the assistance that they gave to David so he's dealing with the grief feeling there we saw at the end of chapter 2 that he had caused the death of all the persons uh, in that city of priests, 85 priests were murdered and then the whole city was massacred. And then as we come to chapter 23 now this evening, it says, And then they told David, saying, Look, the Philistines 
are fighting against Keila and they are robbing the threshing floor. So somehow a message now comes to David in the midst of what he's already dealing with, running for his own life, dodging uh, Saul's attempts to track him down and to assassinate him and under the duress he's already under. Now David gets word that the Philistines, and again, remember, these we've seen before, these are a seacoast people. They became perennial enemies of the children of Israel, always hassling them. They were very advanced people, a seafaring people. They had made great advancements in, med uh, in metal technology, so they had warfare ability and weapons beyond the nation of Israel at this time. And they were always harassing. Remember, this is uh, even who David defeated. The giant was Gath. Uh, Goliath of Gath who was one of the Philistines now we're told here that word comes to David the Philistines again are fighting against and attacking the people of Keilah now uh, the city of Keilah or town really what it would be more like was sort of a border town right near the edge of the Philistine territory so it made them very vulnerable because they were these were Jewish people those who were Israelites but they're a border location to the Philistines which made them vulnerable and what we see happening is the Philistines are basically capitalizing on them during a time when they were threshing their wheat. It says they were robbing the threshing floors. Now, the threshing floors is a reference to what the people would do. Again, in agrarian society as they would harvest their wheat. The threshing floor was usually a flat area where they would usually throw up in the air the wheat and they will allow the wheat and the chaff, the worthless part, to be separated as the wind would blow across it and the heavier portion of the grain which they wanted to retain or the wheat would then fall to the ground and they would then take it from the threshing floor and put it into a storage area. So what we have being described here is the enemies of God are robbing the people of God really from their, uh, their food storage and, and taking what they needed for their survival. What belonged to them was being robbed from them. And the Philistines would just wait until they had it all prepared and then they would come in and they would rob and rip off the people of God and take their food supply from them, no doubt causing difficulty, controlling them, ruining their lives. And David hears about this and he gets word and he's concerned for the people regarding this situation that they find themselves under. His heart is moved with compassion. Again, keep in mind, because David at this time uh, has been already fighting battles for the people of God and knowing that he is their uh, future leader, he has a heart for the people. Uh, and unfortunately, Saul was not fulfilling his role as a king. Saul should have been there on the border providing protection for the people. But instead, he was neglecting his role because he's so consumed with his own selfish ambitions and all he wants to do is just destroy David. So he's neglecting the people he's supposed to care for. He's not taking care of them. He's not defending them or fighting their battles. And David is moved with compassion and wants to do something to provide assistance because he, he, his heart breaks to know that the people of God are being robbed and controlled and their lives are being ruined by this enemy attacking them. Now, as we look at this, I look at verse one and in a lot of ways what the Philistines are doing as the enemy of God's people is a very fitting picture of exactly what the devil, the enemy of our soul does in our lives. Remember Jesus referring to uh, the devil said that uh, he's a thief and he only comes to rob, kill and destroy. 
And exactly as the Philistines here are seeking to rob the people of God of what they needed and what belonged to them and rob them of what was best for their lives, uh, this is exactly what the devil seeks to do in the lives of God's people. He finds people who are vulnerable. They're, they're defenseless, those who are perhaps in a situation that are easy prey, and the devil seeks to come in, and in their isolated, vulnerable situation, he seeks to rob God's people. He robs them of the good work of the Spirit of God happening in their life. He rips people off. He lies to them, deceives them, and just robs what is good and necessary in the lives of the people of God. And when we, like David, hear of those things, that should stir our hearts. That should cause us to be concerned. You know, like David, sometimes we get word of a situation or maybe a family or a, a particular people group or a situation, and we hear that the devil, the enemy, is just robbing them of God's best for their life. And he's just ripping them off. And he's just causing havoc and heartache and, and literally just robbing them of God's best and God's plan for their life. And that should move us to compassion, like Jesus, who was moved with compassion for the people who were, it says, you know, like sheep without a shepherd, and they were weary and scattered. And, and, and that should cause our hearts to be moved. And so David here hears of them being robbed of this food supply. So verse 2 says, therefore David... He does what was wise. Look what it says. It says, He inquired of the Lord, saying, Lord, shall I go and attack these Philistines? And the Lord said to David, Go and attack the Philistines. Now, this is interesting and shows the wisdom and really the spiritual maturity of David at this point. Again, keep in mind, even probably as a young man, about 10 years he was in the wilderness experience that we're looking at here in these chapters. Maybe at this point he's... 21, 22 years old, still a rather young man, but yet the spiritual maturity that's demonstrated here, David, remember, was what? As we've seen in earlier chapters, an incredibly successful warrior in launching military campaigns. Remember, Saul has slain his thousands, but David, what, his tens of thousands? I mean, David was a very successful military warrior. He knew how to launch attacks. He knew how to be successful in military campaigns. Whenever he was functioning for Saul, wherever Saul would send him, he'd behave wisely and God would give him great success on the battlefield. But yet, look what David does here. He hears about a situation and he knows, look, this is wrong. You know, basically, this is like a terrorist takeover. And what these people, and he says, Lord, you know, should I go and launch, take note, an offensive military attack? Interesting. He prays. Lord, he doesn't say, should I respond and defend us by being attacked? He's saying what these people are doing is wrong. It's inhumane. They're hurting and harming people. Lord, do you want me to go on the offensive and to launch a preemptive attack against them to stop what they're doing? And God says, yes. God says, go attack the Philistines and stop them from doing what they're doing and save and spare these people who are being manipulated and preyed upon in their vulnerable condition. So he inquires of the Lord and here's why I say this is wisdom because knowing who David is and what David's capability is and his competency militarily, to me it's very insightful that he doesn't just presumptively just launch right out into battle and think, I've done this before. I mean, I'm experienced in warfare. 
I've already taken down Goliath and God's given me success in other military battles that he doesn't just in a presumptive spirit assume that he's supposed to engage in this particular battle and that he's supposed to fight this particular, if you would, you know, uh, battle particularly in what would be a large scale war. But instead of being presumptive, he's prayerful and he asks God first, Lord, is this a particular battle that you want me to get involved in. He says, shall I go and attack these Philistines? Lord, is this a battle you want me to get involved in? Do you want me to go and engage in this and get involved in this? And I think that's great because his compassion, no doubt, was stirred. His prior experience made him feel like, I'm trained for this. I know how to succeed in a situation like this in the natural. But yet he says, Lord, I don't want to be presumptuous. Do you want me to do this? Are you calling me to step into this? Am I supposed to get engaged in this battle? And I think this is great wisdom because sometimes, even as God's people, listen, with good intentions, sometimes we step right into something out of compassion or desire or a sense of competency and with good intentions. But remember, good intentions are not the same thing as, as you know, God's instructions. I can have a good intention, but it may not be God's idea. I need to make sure, is this God's idea and not just a good intention? Because there is a difference. And if the Lord's sending me and leading me, praise the Lord, I should go. But I need to be patient and prayerful and check that first. And not just step forward presumptuously. I should pause like David and inquire of the Lord. Maybe perhaps even in your life right now, there's something you're moved to do or you see or you're concerned about or you're thinking about, you know, I think maybe I should do something about this situation or help that person or reach out maybe to assist this family. Or get, and, and maybe sometimes it's good to say, Lord, but am I supposed to get involved in that? Because if I get involved in something that's, a battle and dangerous that I'm not supposed to be involved in uh, uh, and even with good intentions I may end up suffering or I may just cause another casualty and interfere in the situation and make things worse so here there's great wisdom and it's always good to stop and inquire of the Lord he says Lord shall I go and attack them and the Lord gives him the, the confirmation the green light he says go this is me he says that is that, that my heart that you have david so god sometimes does as he said put his desires upon her heart he says go attack the philistines and save keilah go assist these people and provide deliverance save them david verse three look what happens but david's men said to him now keep in mind what were his group of men a bunch of individuals who like him are on the run because of saul's miserable kingdom conditions they're in distress they're in debt they're discontent and they're already running for their lives with David. And, and you can imagine David comes to them and says, hey, I got a really great idea. You want to go start a military campaign with the Philistines? <laughs> well, look what they say. Verse three. Look, we are afraid here in Judah. How much more then if we go to Keilah against the armies of the Philistines? In a sense, what you have here is a hesitation of David's soldiers those who gathered around him there in the cave of Adullam who've been experiencing these things with him they're on the run they're struggling to get by day by day living in caves and out in the wilderness and survival tactics to find food and you know always just staying one step ahead of Saul's soldiers and his efforts to you know take their lives from them they're struggling to just survive themselves 
So it's very natural that they would say with a sense of kind of, you know, hesitation. There's, they're kind of worried and fearful. So they say, David, I mean, I mean, noble heart, man. I mean, David, that's great that you're concerned about the people of Keilah and, and it, it saddens you what the Philistines are doing to them. But they say, David, honestly, we're a little nervous about that. In a sense, what you find them basically bringing to the surface is just a natural concern of, I mean, we kind of have our hands full already. We're already sort of, uh, you know, under a lot as it is in our own lives. David, we're already afraid here in Judah. We're already dealing with the fear of staying one step ahead of King Saul trying to assassinate us and kill us. We're already fighting enough battles and and you want to go start another battle? <laughs> you want to go pick a fight? You want to enter into a battle that we don't even have to get involved in? And so there's this natural hesitation. And sometimes this is a normal thing. Sometimes when the Lord is wanting to do something, it's a very natural thing. Though this is the Lord leading, we'll see. He's already told David to do it. Sometimes this happens where maybe the Lord's leading us to do something and the natural thought that comes to our own mind or maybe the comments of our family or people around us or friends or other individuals are like do you really i mean we're already having enough trouble trouble handling what we're dealing with and you want to take on something new now i mean you want to step into some new thing we're doing our best just to keep our head above water and, and you want to start some new thing or help out in some other way or stretch us even further and so there's that kind of hesitation because what's it doing saying step out of your comfort zone <laughs> and we don't like to step out of our comfort zone it's like i'm having enough trouble just keeping my comfort zone you're asking me to step out and to engage into a next thing and so logic here is causing them to have natural fears and hesitation but watch david's incredible humility and wisdom of leadership here great to learn david it says verse four inquired of the lord take notice once again and the lord answered him and said arise go down to keilah and then the promise of god for i will deliver the philistines into your hand so i love this here they say to David, I mean, David, great idea, but I mean, honestly, we're kind of afraid just trying to survive here in Judah. Uh, it's very difficult to think about trying to go launch an attack against the Philistines, and they show this hesitation, but notice how David responds to their hesitation as their leader, and he was their legitimate leader. He doesn't get all arrogant. He doesn't get all uh, like offended by their hesitation and, and, and let his own insecurity or, or again, his, you know, the arrogancy of his heart cause him to say, uh, excuse me, did you forget who's the leader here? I mean, who are you to question an idea I have? Do you forget I'm the captain over all you guys? Did you forget I'm the one that's in charge here? I mean, I mean, let's remember and fall into, he doesn't rebuke them. He doesn't get upset with them. He doesn't, uh, you know, kind of get, get hostile over the situation. Instead, what does he do? He shows wisdom and humility as both a man of God and as a leader. He shows wisdom and humility rather than be offended by their hesitation or, or just get forceful and say, look, just buckle up, pack your bags, get, we're doing this. And, and I don't care whether you had hesitation or not. This is what God told me to do. There's none of that kind of attitude. Instead, David just humbly is open to taking the time as a man of God and as a good leader to say, you know what? It could be that I didn't hear right from the Lord. 
It could be that maybe this could be a, a reservation or, or a check that God is using. Uh, and, 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 and maybe I, I, maybe I should just make sure. And in just humility and in wisdom, he hits the pause button and it says, I love it. Verse four, it says that David inquired of the Lord once again. In other words, he kind of just goes back to God and he says, Lord, um, you know, it kind of seemed like I hit a little resistance there with, and, and I can't fight this battle alone. Uh, and I need these men. And, and, and if I'm going to lead them in this direction and they need to come with me, I need them to be on board. I need them to be cooperative and supportive of, of this step that I sense that you're leading me to take in this direction you're, I believe, telling me to move. And so, Lord, I'm just checking for confirmation here. I love this. I'm just want, I just want to verify, Lord, is this really you? And if I do this, is it going to succeed or is it going to fail? And I'm going to have great loss and heartache in the midst of it. And I love this, that when we pray and we sense God's leading us to do something, there's nothing wrong. Listen, nothing wrong with, with taking the time to verify with God again, to get what we call confirmation, to, to let God verify to us again, maybe if perhaps you know uh, we thought we heard from the Lord and and maybe we were wrong, maybe we you know dialed in the wrong frequency and in getting good intention and so forth. Sometimes we can we can mix up in our good intentions and what looks like a very good and godly thing to do. So it's okay to inquire of the Lord once again, and, and perhaps sometimes we need to do that, especially if we hit a little bit of resistance. And look, nothing else. What did that convey to the men who David was leading for him to say, you know what? Hey, I'll tell you what, I, mean, I appreciate we And just in humility to say, let me just go seek the Lord on that again. Because David doesn't know, maybe he didn't hear from the Lord and he, and he shows his, what does he care more? He cares more about the will of God and he cares about the people. That he doesn't want to just, you know, roughshod, you know, ram forward and be forceful and drag them along. He shows his love for them. And I'll tell you, that kind of leadership wins respect. When people realize that you have a heart for them and you love them and you care about them and that it's not just about your agenda and you always want to put your agenda forward and it's your way or the highway and you're going to do what you want to do and, and you're going to plow forward and get on board or get off board, you know, and, and when you don't have that kind of an attitude, that's the kind of thing that... that causes people to say man this person actually cares about us this leader actually loves us and, and and they actually have our best interests in mind and they want the will of god above all else and that builds respect with people that builds rapport with people and david demonstrates this very beautifully here with the people and as he does this the promise of God comes to him, I will deliver the Philistines into your hand. Now he has not only God's leading, but he has a direct promise. God says, David, not only am I telling you to go, I'm telling you, I will deliver them into your hands. I'm going to be with you and I'm going to bless what you're going to do and I'm going to give you success. It's not going to fail. I'm in this, David, and my presence will help you in the midst of it. And what was basically happening? What happens sometimes is this. Sometimes God leads us to do something in our life. And when he leads us to do something, guess who he's going to tell first? Us. That's kind of how it happens. So God may want you to do something. When God wants you to do something, I found in my life, I've seen interacting with other people, th that when the Lord's leading us to do something, he's going to put it on our heart and mind first. He writes his will in the fleshly tablet of our heart. And, and when he does that, 
sometimes what's on our heart and what God's leading us to do, th- those who are around us, even though they love us and in good intention, uh, you know, they may not be there yet. And so sometimes that means we need to be willing to sometimes kind of, if I could use it, kind of let them catch up, if that makes sense. And by praying and being patient, we just safeguard ourselves from foolishly stepping into something prematurely or presumptively, if maybe God was trying to use them to to stop us. But what we also do is we allow them to have the opportunity to hear from the Lord too and to get a better sense of confidence by waiting and praying longer and letting them kind of catch up and God confirming to them too, yes, this is what I want to do. Follow him. Or, 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 or cooperate or support this person. And so now, as David hears from the Lord, he goes back and reports to them. Look at verse five. It's obvious. It says, and David and his men went to Keilah and fought with the Philistines. Notice, David, I have an underline, and his men. That means his men ultimately said, David, we're with you. We're with you. We sense this is the Lord. We have a confidence and a faith like, you know, we are willing to support you. We, we sense that you've heard from the Lord and we're willing to follow along with you. So David and his men went. They fought with the Philistines. They struck them with a mighty blow, took away their livestock. So they not only destroy, you know, defeated the Philistines, but they had a great victory. They got the spoil of all their livestock from the battle. So David, verse 5, saved the inhabitants of Keilah. He didn't just take a little pressure off of them. He saved the inhabitants of Keilah. That is, he saved their lives. He saved them. He came in, he launched a military campaign, he drove back the people who were threatening them, and he delivered these people, like Jesus, who saves us from the power of the enemy who's robbing us and ripping us off. David here, a picture of Jesus. He saves the people, saves them from their enemy, delivers them. Now, you would think, right? Just natural reasoning. These people would be indebted with gratitude to David. David, you're our savior. You're our deliverer. We are with you, behind you, supportive of you, submitted to you. David, you're our man. David, you saved us. We're so thankful. But watch what happens. He saved the inhabitants of Keilah. Now it happened, verse 6, when Abiathar, the son of Ahimelech, fled to David. Remember, he was the one priest that survived when 85 of them were murdered in Nob. When he fled to David at Keilah, that he went down with an ephod in his hand. Now remember, the ephod was the uh, sort of vest-like piece of the priestly garment that was often used in some ways to help discern the will of God, exactly how they did it, whether with the Urim and the Thummim and these kind of things. We're not 100% certain, but it seems the ephod always had a direct connection with inquiring of the Lord and discerning the will of God. So he now is with David. Remember, David had invited him to stay with him since he was the only survivor from Nob of the priests. And Saul, verse 7, we kind of pan the camera now over to Saul away from David, Saul was told that David, verse 7, had gone to Keilah. So Saul said, God has delivered him into my hand, for he has shut himself in by entering into a town that has gates and bars. So Saul called all the people together for war to go down to Keilah to besiege David and his men. So notice, as Saul gets word, and again, he doesn't even realize, oh my goodness, that's pretty embarrassing. David went and did what I'm supposed to do as the king of Israel. 
I should have been the one to go down there and save my people. This is part. The primary role of government is the defense of the people of the nation. We've drifted very far from that in the United States of America of what the primary function of a government is, which is the safety and protection of their people. Not all the things that we try and make what government is supposed to do today. That's why the government's gotten way over involved in a lot of things they shouldn't. He was neglecting his one role, which was to be the commander in chief and protect his people. And he hears David went and fought this battle. He should have been fighting. And Saul is so off track now, mentally, spiritually. I mean, look at the, the, the spiritual talk. He hears where David is and, and he's, he says, oh, God's finally delivered me into his hand. He's trying to murder this completely innocent guy. And what is he doing? He's still, he's still using God speak. God has delivered David into my hand. He's in that city that's walled in perfect. God's finally delivered my enemy to me. Now notice, what does Saul have? A completely wrong perception. His perspective is totally distorted. He even genuinely in deception believes that God is the one delivering David over to him. I want you to please notice here, just because people use God did this and the Lord did that and God's telling me this and God speak means nothing. People can use God speak and throw God's name around. God's leading me. I've, I've talked to people. I've sat with people in counseling meetings. I believe the Lord's telling me to leave my spouse. Okay, as there been um, infidelity has there been no I just believe God wants me happy okay I, I haven't found that in the Bible anywhere I mean, it might be in first fleshalonians maybe it's um, uh, but uh, uh, haven't found if you're not happy that's justification to leave your spouse and you'll know, be with somebody else that you work with or something and marry a new part and yet but God, but no, I believe God's told me this. Well, you may believe God, but that's not God. It's not the Holy Spirit. Maybe you're human spirit and you want to put the blame on God or throw God's name in there to make yourself feel good in your conscience. And Saul here, he's using the name of God, but yet he's not in right relationship with God. Shows you how, you know, again, just confused people can be in their wrong perception of things. Well, verse 9 says, when David knew that Saul was plotting evil against him once again, he turned to Abiathar, the priest, and said, bring the ephod here. Again, the reason why, as I said, is David's going to now pray again. He's going to inquire of the Lord by turning to the priest and helping by the priest using the ephod as a priest to help discern the will of God. David understood this practice with the priesthood and the ephod. So David said, here's his prayer, O Lord God of Israel, your servant has certainly heard that Saul seeks to come to Keilah to destroy the city for my sake. Will the men of Keilah deliver me into his hand? Will Saul come down as your servant has heard? O oh, Lord God of Israel, I pray, tell your servant. And the Lord said, he will come down. So that's answer number one. Yes, David, he is going to come to Keilah. He's going to pursue you. He's going to come and besiege and attack that city. That's what his plan is because he has heard you're there. Saul is coming. But David's pressing question beyond that, verse 12, he asks again, will the men of Keilah, verse 12, deliver me and my men into the hand of Saul? And I'm sure he's expecting to hear the Lord say, David, you're their savior. You save them. 
They're indebted to you in gratitude. I mean, why would they ever do... Why would they deliver you into the hand of King Saul when you just saved them so miraculously and kindly and graciously from the enemy of the Philistines? Will they deliver me into the hand of Saul? And the Lord said, they will deliver you. They're going to deliver you, David. When Saul comes, I'm telling you in advance, if you don't escape and get out of here, these people are going to turn you right over to Saul. Now, again, we can look at this and say, oh man, the fickleness of humanity and, and I'm, how could they do such a thing and the ingratitude. And I, I suspect there is a part of that. Uh, you would think, I mean, just how sad the ingratitude, you think they'd be indebted to David. Keep in mind as well too that uh, word had been passing around and you know it, word certainly passed around quickly that in the city of Nob 85 priests and then all the men women nursing children animals everything were just recently massacred by Doeg one of the servants of Saul so no doubt the people again they, they were afraid probably too they're thinking Saul's going to come here if we don't turn him over perhaps God knew that they just in fear they wouldn't have the faith to stand faithful and they would just in fear and intimidation turn David over nonetheless they wouldn't stand loyal with David they wouldn't be faithful to David despite what he did for them and again uh, certainly it is sad I mean you would think since he saved them and did what he did there would be a level of gratitude and and that's a sad and unfortunate thing and I'll tell you this if nothing else what's learned by this I mean a few things first of all you know when the Lord tells us to obey him the reason we should obey him is because it's just right to obey him not because of what we'll get on the other side. Oh, well, people will really appreciate me. And they'll be indebted to me forever. And the gratitude they'll have for me, I mean, they'll sell me thank you cards. And I mean, they will be just supportive and loyal and, and they will be so thankful the rest of... And a lot of times we can have a little bit of this ulterior motive when we do things, when we serve or you know help out or do things where uh, there's a part of us that, yes, we're doing it to obey the Lord, but we're also thinking that there's some reward that we somehow deserve as a part of that too and the reality is I hate to tell you you ever notice it doesn't always work that way you may really help someone out you may you may be the best parent in the world do everything in the world for your kids and they may become the most ungrateful children on the earth and you're thinking after what we did listen humanity's humanity the reason we do what's right, the reason we obey the Lord, whether it's in parenting or service or anything that we do, for, is, is here's the reason why. Because we do it out of obedience to the Lord. We serve people out of obedience to the Lord. We obey the Lord because it's right to obey the Lord, not because of what we're going to get as the result of it. Because we may not always get appreciation or thankfulness or gratitude or, again, we may find instead that people are very fickle and you're thinking, man, the people I did the most for, they turned right around and did me wrong. And that happens sometimes. Or they may be people who don't end up being loyal and like the people of Keilah who would just turn David over and rather fickle instead of being supportive. But here's the other thing too. Honestly, when we look at this, this is just a picture truly of what we a lot of times even do towards Jesus, if we're honest. I mean, Jesus has saved us from the enemy of our soul and the oppression of the devil and all the horrible consequences that could come upon us. And are we always the most faithful in showing our gratitude towards Jesus and standing with him and being loyal to him and committed to him and 
not like the people of Keilah sometimes, you know, caving in under fear or intimidation or lack of faithfulness and devotion to the Lord. Remember Jesus talked about the lepers when he healed those ten lepers, and as he healed the ten lepers, only one out of the ten came back and actually thanked him for what he what he did. And Jesus said, didn't I heal ten lepers? Where are the other nine? In other words, what was he in essence saying? Ninety percent of those I helped, only 10% actually are appreciative of it and show their gratitude. And, and so a lot of times we, we understand that because we can be guilty of the same thing at these, these people. But look again at the heart of David manifested here. He hears they're going to deliver him, but verse 13 says, so David and his, David and his men, about 600, so notice that number's grown now from about 400, they arose and departed from Keilah and went wherever they could go and then it was told Saul that David had escaped from Keilah. So Saul, it says, halted the expedition, that is, of chasing and pursuing him down the area of Keilah. Notice in verse 13, David hears these people who he just saved are going to turn on him and deliver him over to Saul if Saul was going to come. And again, take notice of the attitude of David, total mercy, total graciousness. He doesn't get angry and say, you ungodly. I just spent time in prayer. Do you know what God told me about you? You ungrateful, fickle. I mean, he doesn't get angry. He doesn't get upset. Again, if he did, it would only manifest really his own impure heart attitude. Well, why did you really do what you did, David? Was it for the applause? Was it for the you know gratitude you get back in return? I thought you, you, if we have a pure heart in serving the Lord, we really should be able to, in a sense, not be moved afterwards if we don't get appreciation or thanked or whatever. And here, David just graciously, he's, he just gets up, he tells his men, pack up your stuff, and he just quietly, graciously leaves. Very merciful to them in their shortcoming, in their failure, and in their weakness. And again, what a beautiful picture David is there really of the heart of Jesus. Because that's exactly how Jesus is with us. He's very merciful to us. He's very compassionate and patient with us, even in our shortcomings. And David here, in a merciful way, he just, he departs. He doesn't say anything. He doesn't get angry with them for their lack of faithfulness. He just moves on to a new location Verse 14 says, And David stayed in the strongholds in the wilderness and remained in the mountains in the wilderness of Ziph. And notice, Saul sought him every day, but God did not deliver him into his hands. So again, take the notice, the Holy Spirit's emphasis, detail, purpose. Saul sought him every day. Every day of his life. His enemy is pursuing him trying to take him down, trap him, snare him, destroy him every day. Honestly, just like the enemy of our soul, every day he would love to do something to hassle you, to, to, to try and you know, hinder you and harm you in some way. And we have an enemy of our soul who is every day, Jesus tells us that's why, that we need to be you know, uh, you know, watchful and prayerful. Jesus said, watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. Peter would write, be sober, be vigilant for your adversary he says the devil is like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour we always need to be vigilant we always need to realize we have an enemy like Saul pursuing hounding chasing David looking to capture and destroy him we have an enemy spiritually so every day 
Saul sought him, but notice the preservation of God, the protection, but God did not deliver him into his hand. The Bible tells us he who's in us is greater than he who's in this world. And here in David's life, God was sovereignly protecting him, preserving him, keeping him, always working circumstance in a way where he would not allow David's enemy to destroy him, the, the hand of the Lord. I mean, isn't it amazing how many times, you know, our life could have been ruined, destroyed, things, but God, the preserving hand of God, the preservation of the Lord, how he intervenes and he, he doesn't allow us to be destroyed if he's not finished with us and his purposes in our lives. So David, it says, Saul, that Saul had come out to seek his life and David was in the wilderness of Ziph in a forest. And then Jonathan, King Saul's son, and remember the best friend who had become very close and deep companionship and camaraderie him and David shared. Then Jonathan, Saul's son, arose and went to David out in the woods and strengthened his hand in God and said to him, Do not fear, for the hand of Saul my father shall not find you. You shall be king over Israel, and I shall be next to you, that is, sitting by you, loyal to you as you ascend the throne. Even my father, he says, knows that. So what a beautiful thing, this picture of the friendship, the brotherhood of Jonathan. David is in a hard time. I mean, he is in, he's living in caves, he's living in the wilderness. I mean, he is under stress and in one of the most difficult, hard times of his life. And what does Jonathan do? Jonathan leaves his comfort zone of the palace. His life is comfortable and easy. And he says, you know what? And perhaps obviously the New Testament wasn't written yet, but the you know, Bible tells us to you know, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. The Bible tells us in the New Testament that we are to rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep and, and, and that we are to bear difficulties. And, and here, in the midst of David's difficulty, Jonathan, who's his loyal friend and his comrade, his brother, spiritually, it says... He arose, he got up, and he went out to where David was in his difficult place. And I love what it says, verse 16. Great statement. He strengthened his hand in God. One translation says he, 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 he helped him to find his strength in God. He went to his brother who was weary and worn and under the stress and difficulty of his life circumstances and he says he strengthened his hand in God. I picture Jonathan showing up there and saying, David, and having a talk with him and praying with him. And it's almost as if he, he took David's hand and he put his hand back into the hand of God. And he says, David, you just take God's hand again. Don't let go. He, he's your rock and your refuge and your strength, David. And he kind of helps David as a spiritual brother. He just puts his hand back into the hand of God. He says, David, I can't fix your problems. But take God's hand again, brother. Take hold of his hand again. He's strong. He loves you. He's preserved you. He's protect and, he, and he speaks encouraging words to him, saying to him, look what he says to him. The prophetic, don't be afraid. Saul, my father, he's not going to find you. David, he's not. God's protecting you. My father's not going to succeed in his efforts to destroy you. And he says, David, you shall be king and I'm going to be there next to you. David, God's going to fulfill his calling on your life. You're going to be the king one day, David. God's going to fulfill his purposes. And he speaks to him words of faith and encouragement. And I look at this and I think, man, what a beautiful ministry 
that our friendship relationships among the, the spiritual family of God can have in our lives. You know, to, to realize that sometimes God wants us to be like a Jonathan, to go and to seek someone out, maybe in that hard hour or difficult season or when they're going through something in their life, and to seek them out, to reach out to them, whether it's through a phone call or a, a visit, or, or but just going to them in their hardship and strengthening their hand in God. And just being a reminder of the presence of God in their life and, and sort of, if you would, helping them through prayer and encouragement and our presence to just take hold of the hand of the Lord again in their life and to be encouraged spiritually and just to speak into their lives words that would build them up and encourage their faith once again. And how wonderful to realize that we can answer that call like Jonathan. God help us at times to be those who will do that. Maybe there's somebody in your life right now that God wants you to, to help in that way, to be someone who would, you would just go and strengthen their hand in God and encourage them and speak words that would just edify and build them up with hope and inspiration. And I'll tell you something, ladies and gentlemen, this is why it's not good to be an isolated Lone Ranger Christian. We need Jonathans in our lives. We need a few relationships, whether it be one or two or a few, that we build into our lives where we have people like this so that when we're in the wilderness and we're weary and struggling and the enemy's beating us up, that we have Jonathans in our lives who will seek us out and help us in that way. That will be there for us to assist the benefit of this. No doubt this built David up tremendously. Well, verse 19 says, The Ziphites then came up to Saul and Gibeah, saying, is not David hiding with us in the stronghold? So everybody's ratting out poor David here. <laughs> they say, he's with us in the hill of Hekilah, which is on south of Jeshimon. Now, therefore, O king, come down according to the desire of your soul to come down and our part shall be to deliver him into the king's hand. And Saul said, blessed, again, look at his language again, blessed are you of the Lord for you have compassion on me. Again, it doesn't matter what's right or wrong, it's all about me. That, that, that's Saul's trinity is me, myself, and I. You know, he's just a self-serving individual. That's all he cares about. Whatever is best for Saul. He said, you, blessed are you of the Lord. Why? Because you've had compassion on me. You're going to help me do what I want to do finally in my life and get my way and keep my little throne and stay in charge and not have to be removed from what I should be removed from. Blessed are you of the Lord. Thank you for ratting him out, he says. Please go, help me out some more. Find out for sure, see the place where his hideout is and who's seen him there, for I am told that he is very crafty. See therefore and take knowledge of all the lurking places where he hides. Again, there was a lot of caves throughout this area there in the wilderness. It was great for hiding and shepherds would often go inside and use the shade in the caves to take a rest as they would move their flocks around. And he says, and then I will go with you. So he says, you send a search party out, find out where his hiding places are in this area of the caves there in the wilderness. And it shall be if he's in the land that I will search him throughout all the clans of Judah. So they arose and went to Ziph before Saul. But David and his men were in the wilderness of Maon now, in the plain on the south of Jeshimon. So they're always on the move. And David no doubt has his scouts out as well keeping track of uh, those who were pursuing him. And verse 25 says, When Saul and his men went to seek David, they reported to David. Therefore, he went down to the rock. And he stayed in the wilderness of Maon. And when Saul heard that he pursued David, 
in the wilderness of Maon. Then Saul went on one side of the mountain, verse 26, and David and his men were on the other side of the mountain. So all that's separating them now is this large rocky precipice, like a, a hill or a mountain-like area. And Saul's men are right on one side of it. David gets her port and, and they're just right on the other side. This is a very precarious situation now. So David made haste, verse 26, to get away from Saul, for Saul and his men were encircling David and his men to take them. But a messenger came to Saul, this is the sovereign hand of God, saying, hurry and come, for the Philistines have invaded the land. Therefore Saul returned from pursuing David and went against the rock uh, went against excuse me the philistines so they called that place the rock of escape so uh, notice david here at this point in a very precarious situation nothing but a rock separating him from his enemy destroying him and as he gets word He's thinking, oh my goodness, what am I going to do? No doubt he's probably praying. Some of the Psalms are written during this time as he's crying out to God for deliverance. And God sovereignly lets a word come that the Philistines are in the land. It calls us Saul to pull back and he's just, just that close to David. And God sovereignly intervenes one time again and Saul pulls off the expedition and goes and deals with business with the Philistines. And so therefore, notice David and his men, they called that place, verse 28, the Rock of Escape. That's what they named it. The Rock, this is the Rock of Escape. This rock became our path of escape. And of course, you read the Psalms and how David often referred to God as what? His rock. Because these experiences caused David to have this mindset of how God was his rock of escape. Listen to Psalm 31. He says, In you, O Lord, I put my trust. Let me never be ashamed. Deliver me in your righteousness. Bow down your ear to me. Deliver me speedily. Be my rock of refuge, a fortress of defense to save me, for you are my rock and my fortress. Therefore, for your namesake, lead me and guide me. You know, David had had these experiences and he realized, God, this is what you're like. So many times in the Psalms, he calls God his rock. God, you're my rock. Everything in life is unstable, it's unsure, it's uncertain, but God, you're like a rock. You're my rock and, and you're the, 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 the sure thing that gives me deliverance and escape. You're the one who helps me escape destruction and devastation and death and all these things. And, and David began to look to God in this way. And you know what? Is that not a beautiful fitting description of who Jesus is for all of us too? Jesus, the Bible says he's the rock of ages and he's our rock of escape. Our rock of escape. We don't have to worry. The escape that Jesus provides is certain. It's sure. It's like a steady rock and it's immovable. Nothing can move it. No one can move it. That rock of Jesus Christ that your faith is upon is a stable, sure, certain, foundational guarantee. You're going to escape hell and Satan and the power of sin and its devastation and destruction destruction and as long as you keep your life built upon the rock of jesus christ he will continue to help you to escape those things that would overtake you and destroy you and one day he will help you to escape from this world amen let's stand together let's pray and